Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and the Case Note. Team, today we are going to talk about corporate oppression proceedings, as we do from time to time. And today we're going to be talking about a plaintiff who brings an application against a couple of defendants. And what that plaintiff is seeking, in essence, is either an order for a share buyout or an order that the relevant companies be wound up. So let me sketch out some of the relevant circumstances for you. We have an arrangement whereby there are a number of companies incorporated. Three, let's say, for the purpose of our discussion. And what these companies have done is company one and company two have purchased bits of land for the purpose of developing that land and company three has entered into a deal to purchase some land for development, but at the time of the hearing of this dispute, that deal has not yet gone through. In essence, the arrangement between the plaintiff and the two defendants is let's incorporate some companies, let's develop some land. Let's get into the structure just a little bit while we are here. Now, what the position is, is that the plaintiff and defendant two are the shareholders in each of company one, company two, company three. Defendant 1, who is the spouse of Defendant 2, essentially says, look, Defendant 2 is just a figurehead, and me, Defendant 1, is the person really in here doing the work, doing the operative stuff day to day. And so really, this is an arrangement between Plaintiff and Defendant 1, is what Defendant 1 says. Defendant 2, Defendant 1's spouse, uh, doesn't take uh, part much in the proceedings, and with great respect to the extent that Defendant 1 refers to them, Defendant 2 as a figurehead, it seems like there may be some truth to that, or uh, that hmm, is an available inference from the judgment, if I can put it that way. And so, um, the nature of the arrangement bubbles along. And what happens is over time, the plaintiff is contributing more and more money to each of the relevant developments in what I'll loosely call a group, company one, company two, company three, over time, and the defendants themselves aren't contributing vastly less, although still contributing a significant amount, certainly not 50-50. Now, interestingly, each of the sets of parties has a different view on what the agreement or the arrangement between themselves is. Defendant 1 gives evidence that says, hey, we entered into an agreement with the plaintiff. The nature of that agreement was that on arguably uncommercial terms, the plaintiff was going to pay more than 50-50, was going to make these extra contributions in relation to these developments, and there were some other payments that were going to be made as well. Now, in short, the court does not accept that evidence. Defendant 2 themselves does not give any evidence, and so the court draws an inference from that that any evidence they might have given would not have assisted Defendant 1 in making their argument. Interestingly, the plaintiff says, hey, there was this agreement for 50-50 contributions with expenses and profits shared between everyone uh, on a 50-50 basis, and the court also finds that that agreement is not made out on the evidence. And so we've got this position where no one's been able to prove what they say the agreement is. Nonetheless, we still have the plaintiff pursuing, pursuant to section 232 of the Corporations Act, either a share sale or a wind-up of the relevant companies. Now, what the plaintiff says is, hey, look, this stuff is oppressive. We've got the failure to contribute 50-50. We've got the breach of what I say is this agreement. And we've got the defendant one who has caused the ceasing of construction at one of our sites and has stopped this finance application being made. All this stuff is oppressive. And so we should be getting a buyout or a share sale. 
Now, what the court actually says is, well, you haven't proved the agreement, so a breach of the alleged agreement, that's not oppressive. Uh, and the ceasing of construction and the ceasing of this finance application, would arguably, that was totally appropriate in circumstances where there are questions about the solvency and the financial capacity of these companies going ahead. So on one view, that was quite reasonable and not oppressive, but the position where the plaintiff is contributing vastly more and the defendants vastly less to these developments is oppressive, such that an order pursuant to section 233 ought to be made. So we get to the question of, is it to be a buyout order or is it to be an order for a share sale? Now, the court works through the position in relation to this. And as you might imagine, the court can be reluctant to wind up companies that are solvent uh, because it puts sort of third parties at risk and, and incurs costs that may be unnecessary. But there's evidence that shows the companies are heavily indebted, including heavily indebted to both the defendants and obviously the plaintiff who's paid all this money. And so there's quite an extended bit of consideration that goes on because the defendants are pressing for a winding up where you want to wind up and the plaintiff presses for a share sale. There's also evidence that the companies are so heavily indebted that the value of shares in the company is nil because the asset, the net asset position is a net negative, as it were. The companies owe more than they own and so the value of the shares, uh, it, it is suggested on the evidence is nil and that's for each of the relevant companies. And so what the court finds is that it is appropriate that a buyout order be made and it is appropriate that the value of that buyout order is nil and so orders are contemplated for the defendants or indeed just defendant two to transfer all of their shares to the plaintiff for nil value and that is one of the various orders made. Now, interestingly, the orders are marginally more complex than that because the orders also contemplate the plaintiff paying in a substantial amount in the millions into court for the court to then determine, right, how much do all these companies actually owe to the defendants? Because we want to make sure the defendants get paid out before they then have to transfer their shares back to the plaintiff. But I say the most interesting part of this case is a reminder to us that in corporate oppression, we can have a buyout order made and that buyout can be for the grand total of zero dollars. I hope a discussion of that issue assisted you and I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.